You know, as we go into Ephesians 6, put on the armor of God. Uh-oh, we got to turn that CD off. Um, <laughs> as we go into the armor of God, uh, be strong in the Lord, we got to remember uh, that uh, He is our King. Amen? And He's giving us commands, not suggestions. Amen? So let's pray. Lord God, we just come before you now. Help us, Lord, to see you truly as the King of of kings, one who is worthy, not just to suggest how we live our lives, but to command how we live our lives. And Lord, help us to be your obedient servants, servants, even as we worship you today in spirit and in truth. May we do it in obedience. May we do it, as this song just said, with joy, because Lord, there is joy in the Lord for sure. And, and we want to express that today. And so, Lord, thank you for uh, being with us and, and leading us and guiding us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, if um, everybody would take out one of these blue connection cards, okay, FBCO connection card, and we would love to have your uh, name and, and email address or phone number on that so we can contact you. If you want more information about the church, we'd love to know how to contact you, so please put that on there. And then everybody else, uh, there's, there's a, a prayer request card, and be sure and fill those out. Put that in the offering plate. If you have a connection card, by the way, uh, you can either put it in the offering plate or you can see somebody out at the connection center after the worship service. So you can turn that in either place, okay? Um, all right, well, we're going to continue down the path of singing about victory, about singing about being strong in the Lord. And you know, you're, depending on your age, your parents or grandparents learned a song back in the day that talked about uh, victory in Jesus by that same name. And so let's sing it together. Now, we're not going to sing it like Grandpa sang it, but you'll catch on. Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit and 
Jesus came and brought to me the victory. Ephesians 6 uh, obviously tells us this, be strong in the Lord. We learned this last, last week. Hopefully it's not a new song to you, but if it is, let's learn it again today. Be strong in the Lord. Victory. 
God, we come before you now with our tithes and our offerings. Lord, may we give joyfully and generously because your kingdom, Lord, is the most important thing on this world, in this world. And so we want to express that by our giving, by our serving, uh, by how we live our lives each and every day. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Yeah. 
may be seated. Well, it's a blessing to have people looking for a seat this morning. I heard a few people walking around saying they lost their original seat. <laughs> and they didn't leave because of it. You know, good Baptist, you're in my seat, right? And then Billy and I are kind of tied up here. And I said, we ought to just start singing Kumbaya since we're sitting <laughs> tight together. All right. Let's read uh, our text in its entirety today. So Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10. The Bible says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, or full armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and... As shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. The Allied invasion of Normandy was among the largest military operations ever staged. We know the term D-Day was given to this particular time frame and this particular date. The term D-Day was used to designate a launch date of the mission. For a particular reason, it was used to keep the actual date <clears throat> out of the hands of the spies, but also to serve as a placeholder until an actual date was chosen. And we know that day to be June 6th. 1944. The mission was officially called Operation Overlord. 
And the mission combined the forces of 156,115 troops made up by U.S., British, and Canadian troops, 6,939 ships and landing vessels, 2,395 aircraft, and 867 gliders that delivered airborne troops. Over 156,000 Allied troops stormed the beaches. With all, we all know that there were massive casualties to the Allied forces. We lost 266,000 men. But thanks in part to this massive influx of troops and equipment, D-Day marked a decisive turning point in the war. So less than one year later, on May 7th, 1945, Germany signed an unconditional surrender. So less than a year, they signed the unconditional surrender. And May 8th, 1945, became known as the E-Day, Victory in Europe. What happened between D-Day and VE Day? What happened between the decisive victory, decisiveness of what happened on D-Day that turned the condition of the war on its head versus that final May 8th proclamation of the war was completely over. What happened in between that time? Well, a lot more war, right? And battles. We think of the Battle of the Bulge that took place in December of 1944. So it was D-Day that secured VE Day for the Allies. Well, in the same way, it was the cross of Christ and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that was D-Day for Satan. And all of his principalities. And all of his powers. Christ was ultimately victorious over all of his enemies. The cross and the tomb turned the course of the cosmic war. And brought about the certain defeat of Satan. In Martin Luther's words. And lo, his doom is sure. Right? However, you and I live between D-Day... And V-Day, or V-E-Day. We live between the decisive battle that was won on the cross and the empty tomb and the consummation of the total victory of the Lord Jesus Christ at his second coming. So in between the times, in the spiritual realm, there is the drama of warfare continuing day in and day out. And we have real enemies As we await the consummation and the return of our Lord, our enemy's doom, in the words of Martin Luther, is sure. Yet Paul would remind us that these real enemies that we have, there are real enemies that we have. And they're very bitter against Christ and against his people. Dare I say that there still are a lot of casualties. In between the decisive victory and the consummation of the age. The faith-based knowledge that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ brings forth a harvesting of a fruit. And if you're in Christ Jesus, the harvesting of that fruit is the fact that you're aware that, the, that we are in a battle. That you're aware of this. So in Ephesians 6, 10 through 20... 
Paul is trying to equip us as a church to live between the cross and resurrection and the second coming of Jesus. He's equipping us to live in this tension between the already, y'all listening, and the not yet. Last week we saw the first command which is be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We are strengthened how? By the vital union that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not your strength. Left alone, you do not have the power, ability, uh, fortitude to stand. It is only as we stand in the Lord, in the power of His strength. And what did we learn? What is the focal point of this incredible power that we stand in? Paul could have said it's creation. The fact that God created all things out of nothing. But what he actually puts his focus on is the resurrection, resurrection, ascension, exaltation, and enthronement of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he reigns. He rules. He's not waiting to reign in the coming day. He reigns today. And we stand in that victory. So this is very clear from what Paul is saying to us. If you are in Christ... His victory is our strength. So today we take up the second commandment. Put on the full or whole armor of God. Are you ready? Okay, here it is. Put on the full armor of God. Do you see it here? Verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. And we're going to address schemes of the devil the spiritual warfare, the, the warfare that is spiritual, and the need to stand firm in the evil day. We'll discuss that, Lord willing, all of it next week. But this week, put on the full armor of God. Now, there is an English word. We don't use it a whole lot. But it is taken from this particular term, full armor. It comes directly from the Greek word, and it is panoply. You ever heard of that word? Raise your hand. It is the panoply of God. This is important, okay? It means the full armor. In English, it means a complete set of arms or a suit of armor, the panoply. So, the full armor is explanatory to what it means for us to be strong in the Lord. You, you have to keep it in the context. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. So we're going to get an explanation. So we should read the verses connected like this. You ready? Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And how do we do this? By putting on the full armor of God. This term, put on, is used 27 times in the New Testament. Paul uses it 13 times. It can be used literally like to dress someone, to clothe someone, or even to clothe oneself. However, most of the time when it says put on, it is used figuratively to put something on. So let's say it this way. When you put something on biblically, it's the idea that whatever you put on, you're actually taking on its characteristics. You're taking on its virtues. You're taking on its intentions on whatever... You are putting on. You'll recognize that Paul uses this particular term, put on, in numerous places. Uh, if you are feeling like your body 
is wearing out, like, you know, some of you make fun of me because I say I feel that at, at 50, mine is wearing out. We came in this morning and there was one spot left beside the senior adult parking. And we got it. And Natalie said, we're one space away from there. I said, yes, we are. But in reference to putting on characteristics, sometimes it's, it's used most of the time figuratively. Sometimes it's used futuristically. Most of the time it's used present tense Christian life. But notice how it's used in 1 Corinthians 15. I like this. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall all be changed. For this perishable, this body, must put on the imperishable. See the word put on. And this mortal must, this mortal body must put on immortality. Hallelujah, that's coming one day. When the glorious resurrection of Christ happens and I'm going to put on different uh, virtues, characteristics. I'm going to put on that part which is this old body which is wasting away will be gone and God will give me a glorified body. Put on. That's what's going to take place in the future. We will put on, take ourselves, take into ourselves a resurrection body. We'd all, we would all also to say that not only is it futuristic, for our purposes today, when you read, put on the full armor of God, what should we think about? <clears throat> well, in Paul's usage in the New Testament, it primarily deals with living the Christian life. Folks, this is so important, isn't it? If you're putting on the armor of God <clears throat> and you're studying that verb, put on, then you have to ask, how did Paul use it? Well, let's do a little Bible drill. I'm going to get there before you do because all of mine are marked. Okay? So Romans 13. Just turn with me. I want you to see these with your eyes. It's vitally important. What does it mean to put on? Let's find out what that means and then ask, put on the armor of God. So 13.12 of Paul's epistle to the Romans, chapter 13, verse 12 reads, The night is far gone. The day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Verse 14, just let your eyes move down to skip one verse, verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, is this ever a good verse for us. And make no provision for the flesh to, glor to gratify its desires. Galatians. Chapter 3, verse 27. Galatians 3, 27 reads, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. The book that we are studying, Ephesians 4. We've already seen this verse. Chapter 4, verse 24. And to put on the new self... Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Keep moving. Skip Philippians. In Colossians 3, verse 10, the Bible says, And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Verse 12, same chapter, 
put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And one final verse that I feel like is really close to context, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So I hope you can see from that little cursory rundown of certain verses to put on, Paul is continually telling us to put something on. That is to take on the characteristics of something, to adopt something as your own, to appropriate something to yourself. And we would say that to put on the Lord Jesus Christ is to appropriate Christ unto ourselves in such a way that we take on the characteristics of our Lord. It is to utilize His resources in what we put on. So in our living, our Christian life, we are actually consistently doing two things. According to the New Testament, we are putting off and we are putting on. Is everybody getting this? Do I need to start over? Living the Christian life is consistently putting off and putting on. We are putting off. We're getting rid of certain characteristics that identified us with the old man. If the old, the old man is crucified, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Romans 6. We're abandoning certain resources. We're, we would not be appropriating to ourselves certain marks of what it means to be the old man. Right? But it's also a life of putting on. Putting on means specifically that we are appropriating our new life that you already have. In the Lord Jesus Christ, we begin to think differently. Does that make sense? If you put on Christ and you think differently than you did when you were an old man, not, not age, the old man outside of Christ. That's the lost person. We act differently when we belong to Christ, when we're putting on. We live differently when we have put on Christ. So why? It is because we are consciously appropriating the new life that we have in Christ. And listen to this. His resources are inexhaustible. you got to put this together in Christian living because many of us have our... Number one, you don't have your helmet on straight. Maybe it's stuck this side. I always remember Greg Brzezina talking about the first time he tackled Walter Payton. And Payton just ran right over him. And he, he's on the ground hollering, I can't see, I can't see. And the coach runs up and straightens out his face mask and says, you can't see because you were looking through the little hole on the side. He just ran right over him. And I think so many of us, we don't have our helmet on right. The helmet of salvation. That's coming in the future, okay? But the fact is, we're not thinking about the inexhaustible resources that we have in Christ. Now, these illustrations are not going to be perfect, okay? But let me give you an example. Don't you love being around the church when you've got all these bachelors? And what's their focus? Finding a mate. Right? Some of you, you know, 
you have no hope, right? <laughs> but there's this bachelor mode that is interesting. You know, they're just, oh, that one might be a prospect. Oh, that one may be a prospect. Oh, this, you know, it's interesting in church life. And Natalie and I, we've lived with this for years. And we've seen God bring, um, just incredibly through providence, bring this man and this woman together. But what happens once you're married? That bachelor mode best be over. In other words, there's a new status. There's a new way of thinking. There's a position that you're in in marriage that you were not in before. That's the same way it is. Not exactly. Okay, The illustration falls flat at some point. But you've been taken from one position to another. Well, that's what happened when God saved you. Took you out of the position of being an old man that's dead in his sin and brought you into new life. He's given you a new position, a new identity, therefore we think differently. Similarly, when Natalie and I were in seminary, huh, we were poor. Right? We were. Seriously, I don't know how we actually made it. But in my first pastorate at Duncan Baptist Church, I will never forget... In one deacon's meeting, just out of nowhere, Mr. Ray Baker says, Our pastor needs a raise. I was like, whew, that would help. And I was moved to $600 a week. At first, my salary was like $19,000. That was house, that was everything. But he moved me, they moved me to $600 a week. And I was like, wow, that's unbelievable. And I'm like, check out all the resources that I now have. It wasn't much. Didn't go too far. But that's, that's the way we should think about this. In similar terms, we went from no resources to infinite resources in Christ Jesus to live the Christian life. Now keep in focus here. It's not working up to live the Christian life. It is you being changed by Christ in order to live the Christian life. So to put on in the New Testament means to begin to think, to live out. Of your new status. And it affects the way you think. It gives you another perspective. A different God-honoring perspective. Folks, we're called to live in a brand new way. That capitalizes. Let me just go ahead and be bold and say it. It exploits the infinite resources that we now have in Christ Jesus the Lord. Paul says, Paul doesn't say just put on. He tells us what to put on. Paul says here, with one word, put on the panoply of God. And it means the full armor of God. And most of you know, and it's accurate, that this was the foot soldier's armor that was given to him. He was heavily armed. Keep in mind, what does this mean? You're not going to be the best at maneuvering quickly. What this really is, is for you to be ready to be dug in to kind of put your heels in and hold the line. That's the kind of armor to which we're given here. It's a soldier's, a foot soldier's armor. So the word will be used here. It's used three times in the New Testament. Twice it's used in Ephesians 6 and once it's used in Luke's gospel. And listen to the way it's used. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do you, your sons, cast them out? Therefore they will be ju your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. 
When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when a stronger one comes, who is that? Christ. Then than he is and attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. That second word armor is panoply. That's how Jesus used the word armor. So, Paul says, put on the full armor of who? Are y'all stay with me? The full armor of God. So, I think it's important that you always translate and interpret Scripture with other Scriptures, right? That's the best way to do it. We have to let Scripture interpret Scripture. So, with that being said, in one sense, when we say it's the full armor of God, we have to be able to say that the armor comes from God. Would you all not agree? It comes from God, okay? He's not asking you to come up with your own armor. So, he supplies the armor for us, and when we go through the armor, we'll find out that each part has something to do with what God gives to us. So, it is without question, when it says the armor of God, he's speaking about his spiritual armor that doesn't come from the reservoir of Roman armories, it comes from the reservoir of an infinite God, okay? So, we are to appropriate something that God has given to us. Yet, if we take the usages and we think about the term used in Isaiah 59, 17. Y'all remember that one? That he, Christ, has put on the breastplate of righteousness. He, he's the mighty warrior. In other words, he wore the armor before you did. Okay? So if we know it's of God, we have to say, well, it's from God. But we also have to take another step and say it's actually God himself that we are putting on. How do we know that? Well, we know it because Romans 13, 14 says, put on Christ, right? So when we are told to put on the full armor of God, it most definitely comes from God. But in a real sense, it is to put on our Messiah, our conquering king, our victorious one, because we are told to put on Christ. We are being told to clothe ourselves in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's one other nuance that we have to look at of, of God. It's from him, yes. It is God himself that we put on. But thirdly, each piece of armor reflects God himself. We're going to see this in the future. But each piece of armor is directly connected to an attribute of God. Now, wake up, church. You need to know something about God if you're going to be able to stand. I think pastors that are not theologians are really not pastors. I have to be honest with you on that. The problem in our world today is we do not, as Christians, we do not know the God that we belong to. We don't know the attributes of God. I'm telling you, you'll never get through the tough times of life and stand firm if you don't know something about God. And so these attributes are given to us. Think of the, this. Gird your loins with truth. God is the God of truth. Think about how this relates. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. God is righteous, and he is righteousness. Put on the gospel of peace. It's our God who is the God of peace. Take up the shield of faith. God is faithful. Amen? And great is his faithfulness. Take up the helmet of salvation. 
God himself is our salvation. Yahweh is our salvation. Take up the sword of the Spirit. God is spirit and God is truth. And Christ himself is the divine logos of God. His word is the revelation of himself. So when Paul says, put on the full armor of God, he's going to specifically address what those look like in 14 through 17. But it's descriptive. And it's explanatory of what it is to be strong in the Lord and stand in the power of his might. Mark my words. The whole armor will apply to the whole of your life. Are y'all listening? The whole armor will relate and it will apply to the whole of your life. In this armor is the strength and power of Christ who is the victorious one. And I don't know what you think about that, but I want that. Right? So just as when we're told to be strong, it's not in our own might. It's strong in the Lord. And here we're told to put on nothing less. If we're going to be able to put on the full armor of God, we're told to do nothing less than to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, who is already the conquering king, who is already the D-Day victor. Right? We're told to put on. So to put on the armor of God is more than just learning battle techniques. Rather, Paul is telling us to utilize the resources that we already have in the Lord Jesus Christ. I ask you a question. Do you ever feel like a pauper in trying to live this Christian life? Do you ever feel like you're, you're failing? You're up one side, down, beneath, uh, topsy-turvy type thing, roller coaster Christianity. God says to you and me, look what I have provided for you. Consider the resources. I heard John MacArthur once give this illustration of a man who won a two-week cruise. The problem was he was broke. And he thought to himself, how am I going to be able to enjoy this cruise when I don't have any money? So he decided that the little bit of money he had left, he would make him a ton of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. He made them for breakfast, lunch, and supper. He thought to himself, while I'm I'm on this cruise, I don't want to miss anything. But I also don't want to starve to death. And I will if I don't have food. About halfway through the cruise, someone sees him eating his P&J and says, What are you doing eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? If you have admission to the cruise, you have access to all the banquets. Let that sink in for a moment. We spend time often eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And we forget the infinite resources that we have in our God through Christ who actually lived the Christian life. Don't mistake this. I'm not talking about the health and wealth gospel which is from the pit of hell. Period. I'm talking about living the Christian life through the infinite resources that we have in Christ Jesus the Lord. So I challenge you to utilize what God has given you in Christ. If you've put on Christ and you're aware of the fight, you are aware of the mindset. I don't see any other option here. When I say things like that, and I say, Christian, you have to be aware of the fight. I'm telling you, if it's never entered your mind that you're in a fight, I have a hard time trying to figure out if you've ever known the Lord. How can you not be aware of a fight if the Holy Spirit of God lives in you? So I'm telling you, folks, this is serious. It's serious to know 
that you have the infinite resources of Christ at your disposal. Why? Because you're in Christ. I'm asking you to appropriate everything that Jesus Christ is for you. Apply everything that he's bought for you in your new life. His strength, his power, new ways of thinking, new ways of living. We're putting on a person, not methods. Think of this. Our God has done far more than anything we could ever ask or think. Utilize what God has given you in Christ. If you put on Christ, then you are aware of the fight. And you must have a warfare mindset. You realize that you can't fight in your own strength. And we know that the power to fight at all comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. So it is to think biblically about who you are in Christ in your daily life. One of my favorite scriptures is 2 Peter 1.3. Here's what it says. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Isn't that good? It doesn't say God has given you a little bit or some and you give the rest. That's not what it says. It says in this text that his divine power has given, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So this means we are to appropriate the resources that are already ours in Christ Jesus. Here is the grand purpose of putting on the armor. Back to Ephesians. Listen. Put on the full armor, panoplia of God, that you may be able to stand. Do you all realize that that's the reason for the armor? The reason for the armor, the goal, the objective of the armor is for us to stand. Now, does this sound very victorious or glorious for our ears in our modern day? If you're a Braveheart fan, right? Something like this, stand, that doesn't sound very glorious. Reiterating the verse, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. You would have rather heard that you can kick Satan right in the kneecap. You can just whip him up. Exercise the devil. Cast out a demon. Take dominion. No! It is so that you can stand. The goal in the battle, the objective is to stand. Verse 13, stand firm. Verse 14, stand firm. Therefore, three times he declares that standing is the objective in the war. You put on the full armor of God that you can resist, folks. You put on the full armor of God so that you can resist. You can offer resistance to the enemy so that you're not turned back. You're not knocked to the side or you're not, you're not knocked down on your backside. That's why you're standing. You know that James and Peter say the identical thing. James 4, 7 says to us, let's look over here, James 4, 7. Hebrews, James, find Hebrews and you're there. Hebrews 4, 7, listen to how he explains it. The Bible says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And then 1 Peter Chapter 5, verse 8. We'll return to this verse for sure. 1 Peter 5, 8. The Bible says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. Verse 9, you see it? 
Present tense command, resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So, it's not only critical to put on the armor, but it's also critical to be aware of the devil's schemes of why you actually put it on. That's not going to be preached today, and you're probably glad. I could, but it would probably run us to 530. Y'all okay with that? Uh Uh-huh. We'll turn to that subject next week. Please don't miss the objective in the war. Let's get a little personal here. Husbands and fathers, do you hear this? Do you put on the full armor of God so that you can stand? Husbands and fathers, are you listening? Wives and mothers, are you ready to put on the full armor so that you can stand? Single men, single women, are you ready to put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand? Christians, young and old alike, are you ready to be strong in the Lord and to put on the full armor of God so that you can stand and put up resistance against the schemes of the devil? Just stop and think for a moment about your lifetime and even about the condition of our church. You ought to know that the devil has worked overtime. He's schemed. He's plotted. He's disrupted relationships that are still disrupted in this church in some ways. And you say, how do you know that, Pastor? I hear you. I see you. Okay? So here's the deal. Relationships. How about disrupting marriages? Has he plotted and schemed? You better believe it. Does he enjoy defiling purity? Does he enjoy creating doubts about his word? Does he like making us suspicious about one another? Does he? Are y'all going to talk to me? Or I will preach to 530. (laughs) Does he do this? Yes. I ask you today, are you ready to resist and stand against the vile schemes of the enemy? This is why Paul says, put on the armor of God. Christian men and women. We have to be ready to say, Lord, I want to be strong in your infinite resources that you've already given me. Why? Because I want to stand. I want to resist. If you're on guard, then you can see how the enemy has creeped in. How he's connived and done this and got a foothold here and a foothold there. Corinthians would remind us that he has the power to cast down all strongholds and every vain thing that brings itself up against the knowledge of God. Listen to me. You can easily fall into a stronghold. A stronghold about a relationship that has gone south can keep you from being all that God would have you to be. And you need to get off your backside. Are you listening? Because you've already been knocked down and you're not doing anything for the kingdom because you can't keep your focus on the one who has infinite resources. Right? It's the fact of the matter. If you're on guard, then you can see it. But you often have strongholds. The enemy gets a foothold. And you're just, you're just sitting there doing nothing. Going to the side. Going backwards. Not on, the def- not on the resistant part. So, are you ready to stand for your marriage? Are you ready to stand for your family? How about your Christian life? How about against temptation? Do we need to stand against that? How about standing for the church? That's important, isn't it? Are you ready to stand? Here's the deal. The devil doesn't take vacations. 
Our enemy is cruel. Young person, the devil does not value your commitment to sexual purity. So don't be stupid. Are you listening? If you do stupid, then you're going to overstep the bounds and give right into the enemy. And you'll lose your sexual purity until God would have you give it to your love person you love one day in the future. You've lost that. from the, You can never give that to that love, that person that you marry again. It's gone. Do you listen how do you understand how serious that is? And the enemy loves it. He doesn't think purity is a sacred thing. He cares nothing about that whatsoever. He's a liar. So listen to me on that, on these things. He's a busy devil. But here's what we're called to do: be strong and put on the armor of God and stand. And when we stand in the strength of the Lord and the power of his might, we are demonstrating, or he demonstrates through us the very power of his resurrection, ascension enthronement in heaven, his glory. That's what's happening in us. So our God reigns and we stand. Right? Our God reigns and we stand. The text calls us to a balance. Here's the balance. We do have the victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's one, that's one side of the ledger and praise God for it. But the other balancing part is for us not to be ignorant of the devil's schemes. Shame on you if you stop in the battle and think, Christ has won the victory and I don't need to stand and fight in spiritual warfare. On the other hand, woe to you if you are fighting as if D-Day never happened. I'm telling you, it happened. It happened. So, do you fight with no confidence? Always worrying about the outcome. We need to balance the confidence that we have in the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ and with the same absolute necessity of putting on the full armor of God and fighting the good fight of faith all the way to the end. We need to learn to stand and fight between the already and the not yet. Strike the balance between seeing Satan as crushed and defeated, but also as a roaming lion. you got to see both of them, right? We dare not get out of balance when it comes to what Paul is teaching us in these truths. You can't, you can't afford, folks... To be out of balance when it comes to these truths. Our God is victorious. Our God is a triumphant God. You ever notice how there's something within us that wants to see the hero win in the battle? You ever notice that? I don't know what movie. I'm, I'm not going to shoot one out there because I don't watch a lot of movies. But the fact of the matter is, I like it when the victor wins. I love, there's something pulsating Within us, when we see the victor, when you watch the Lion King, I mean, whew, that's good stuff, right? <laughs> hey, there's no doubt about it. I like all of it. I like even the part when the little girl says, he's not safe. That's a reminder. God is not safe. He's God, right? But all these things come together, and we balance that with a victorious understanding of a triumphant God. But there's also something within us, if we are saved, that surges when we sing a song like, In Christ Alone, My Hope is Found. Right? And when we sing that about coming forth from the tomb and Him reigning, there's something within us that pulsates. Here's the deal. It ought to still pulsate within you the fact that since He is your conquering King, God has called you to fight. That same pulsating passion should well up inside of you that you don't want the enemy to win the day. That, 
that you want to submit yourself to Christ. Why? Because in resisting the enemy, drawing near to God, resisting the enemy, you are bringing glory to God. And that's exactly what we should do. We have our minds so often on things that don't matter. Why is it that we forget the battle? How is it that we forget we're in a war? Well, I think there are numerous things. TV. Phones. We've been joking lately about flipping up and seeing how much screen time you had during the day. Okay, church family. You know how to do it with those things. I don't. Somebody has to look my screen time up for me. But why, don't, why don't we take a little time to see if we can make that go down? Right? Because I think phones and TV. What about this? Relationships. Jobs. There are things that we all have that cause us to get our focus off the war. How well are you putting on the armor and how conscious are you of the battle that we are in? If you are saved and you're in Christ, what I've preached should have spoken to your heart. And if you're saved, you should have a desire to stand. Father, help us. Lord, help us to put on the full armor of God that we may be able to stand. God, help us. Help me. Lord, help our families. Help our marriages. Lord, help our young people. To realize that coming to church is more than just showing up and seeing your buddies. But in reality, the Christian life is a warfare. God, protect them. May they put on the full armor of God. Just thinking of that first one. Belt of truth. Oh God, how we need it in our world today. Young people, young adults, older alike who are people saturated in the Word of God. God, help us as we look into this deeper about what it means to put on the armor of God and we think about your attributes and who you are. God, help us. Help us, help us to be a healthier church body through this. Lord, if there's someone in here that's lost, Lord, help them understand that you are victorious. Lord, the gospel is... That you have revealed, even when Paul said it, I bring to you of first importance that Jesus Christ died according to the scriptures. Died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again according to the scriptures. Lord, the gospel is that the Lord Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Lord, if there's someone in here that's lost, Lord, may you make them aware of their need for Jesus, for the Savior, to save them from their sins. Would you draw out of them repentance and faith toward you? Lord God, may you work in the hearts of those who do not know you. Lord, for saved people, help us, Father, to put on the full armor. Be strong in the Lord. Resist the devil. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that 
I am to believe that we're all continuously putting on the armor of God, right? We're all doing that in this room, right? I pray so. Uh, And with the encouragement from the scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God-breathed. And it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be fully furnished for every good work. There's your furnishing, right? Please pray. Maybe at, maybe at this moment, the Holy Spirit really hasn't put his finger on the truth and stuck it into your heart. I'm not talking about that pumping instrument either. I'm talking about the seat of your emotions. It makes you who you are. I'm going to pray that the Spirit of God would put his word straight into the center of your being and convict you about this particular area. Because, folks, this is the nuts and bolts of living the Christian life. Putting off, putting on, right? Infinite resources that are in Christ Jesus. That's what you have to live the Christian life. You need to exploit it because it's yours in him. One more verse. Let's sing. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far. Well, amen. A couple of things I want you to pray about. Uh, Miss Shirley Bumgardner had a stroke this morning. And they ended up having to do surgery because she had a blood clot. Does anybody know how that turned out? The surgery? Okay, they don't know how much damage. She's still awake, waiting for her to wake up. And surgery has already taken place. Okay? Mr. Ted Nichols, also, he had a heart attack this week. It was mild, but he still had a heart attack, and they couldn't do uh, angiograms, that's what it's called. They couldn't put a stent under anything. They're going to have to do open heart tomorrow morning, and he already had a previous issue of a, of a valve, so they're going to replace a valve as well as do a three-way bypass. So pray for Ted. Uh, you know Miss Glenda has cancer, so we need to be lifting him up to the Lord, uh, so pray for Ted and, and his family, okay? Uh, no service tonight, all right? Yeah, oh, I'm sorry, 5.30 tonight, right here. <laughs> no service tonight. Remember that they're playing for a perishable crown. We're living for an imperishable crown. There's a difference, right? Keep that in balance, all right? So, next Sunday night, I will be preaching, and I'm going to be preaching on elders, okay? Because our church, we're moving toward that. I want to show you biblically why that's necessary, okay? So, I'm going to preach two sermons on elders on two different Sunday nights, and then one Sunday night on deacons, and I'll let you know what I'm doing that. Please come. If you're interested in the health of your church and the life of your church, decisions they make, you need to be here next Sunday night, okay? God bless you.